some of them give you crazy numbers like, you know, today we have zero revenues, but in a year, we'll, we'll definitely make $30 million. All right, guys, welcome to the Bluemix podcast. Uh, major announcement, we have a new sponsor, Tornet. Shout out to Dixshant, um, who came on our 14th episode of the podcast. He loved what we're doing so much that he wanted to show his support. Um, Tornet is a great team for anyone looking to outsource their technology to, by the way. Um, they work with a lot of startups. They work with a lot of full-form companies, organizations, uh, universities. Done, I've seen them do a lot of great work. Um, so this is how they describe themselves. Tornet is a team of technology priests operating across two continents who preach the power of technology to make a meaningful difference in their customers' ecosystem. They're a powerhouse of technology enthusiasts who believe that business value chains can be improved with the help of technology solutions. So if you're looking for any kind of solution to get built out, any technology solution, definitely reach out to Tornet. Uh, they're a great team. Maria. Hi. Thank you for coming on the BlueMex podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um, we met at the Athletic Tech we Event did Summit. Meet there, yes. Yeah, Athletic Tech Summit. Met there. Um, so you are a senior, let me get this right, senior manager, account manager. Yes. At BDC. Correct. the Technology Group. Correct. Perfect. And we just want to put up a disclaimer right now that you're here representing yourself, not the BDC. That is right. All okay. opinions are my own, and I do not speak on behalf of BDC right now. Perfect. Awesome. And one of the things I want to talk to you about, because through your work, through your line of work, I mean, you work with a lot of startups right now, um, and which is a new thing, right? As you've recently become involved with the BDC in this kind of line of work, uh, but through it, you've been able to talk to different startups, different companies, and in different industries. So I would imagine you have a great bunch of insight to share with us on what you think is happening in tech and in startups in general. Um, so before we even get to that, right? So what is your story like? Are you from Toronto? You're originally from Russia, you said? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I moved uh, from Russia to Canada about 10 years ago mm. and uh, moved first to Calgary, went to University of Calgary there, graduated, uh, joined bank and industry because I thought that would be great to learn how companies fail. Mm -hmm. So decided to do commercial banking and then moved to Toronto about three years ago. And now I'm here and I have been focused on tech industry and tech companies here in Toronto. Perfect. So you got into banking to understand companies and how they fail. Correct. So the, you always had an interest in how companies form and yes. develop, yeah? Yeah, I've always been interested in startups and entrepreneurs. It was very interesting to see how people get the courage to venture out there and start their own thing and grind it out. And it was awesome to see the university because a lot of students had side hustles and you know, internet businesses and consulting businesses. So I got involved really early. I did a lot of consulting while I was at university on the side. Yeah. In similar settings like this where you know you go to university, you have a group of students working on something and you help them out with strategy, marketing, uh, BDB sales, BDP, BDC sales, whatever it was. And uh, from there, I just figured that you know, it would be good to learn a little bit more, maybe learn from more mature companies, mm -hmm. learn uh, to see how they fail, how yeah. they grow, and uh, join commercial banking. Did a, quite a lot of that, and then uh, recently joined BDC to focus only on tech companies okay. to see how they fail, grow, <laughs> succeed, get money. That's amazing. So I find like there'll be s you can share some interesting stories there. Oh yeah. Um, anything <laughs> in particular tons. you can highlight? Like um... uh, not probably the ones that I've seen so far. I mean, a lot of them are fantastic, but 
we'll have to see how they play out. You know, once there's this unicorn that comes out, I will tell you that, oh yeah, I knew those guys, I helped them. Um, but one of the stories that I heard at Elevate, I don't know if a lot of people know, mm -hmm. uh, about the company called Away. Okay. It's a luggage case company. Okay. Do you know? No? No. Okay. So Jen Rubio started the company about three years ago, three okay. and a bit in New York, and she was a baker, I think, or her co-founder was a baker. She started the company. They were supposed to create their luggage case December. Didn't happen. Realized that it won't happen. But what do they do? They write a book. They write a traveling and lifestyle book with some influencers, put a gift card into the book uh, of the size of the luggage case, of the amount of the luggage case, sell out of the books, create an offline and online community around the lifestyle brand. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then create a magazine. Then create, finally, the luggage case they were supposed to create. But because of all the community work that they've already done and built on social media, they become a billion dollar company in three and a half years. That's it okay. is, you know, it just shows you how there's no right or wrong way to enter the market. It just depends on your strategy. That's right. I've heard the name away before, yeah. but the reason I probably don't know much about it is because you hear so much of these luggage based companies coming up and you're like, what the hell is going on? Exactly. How much need could they be for luggage? But uh, that's, a, that's interesting in the way they became successful, right? Like creating a community around their brand and, and their identity first and Correct. marketing that. Because a lot of companies focus on creating the product, then yeah. building the community around it and building the hype, building the authentic uh, relationships with their customers. And sometimes, uh, you know, that creativity where you create something else, build up to it, and then release the product to your community, which was mm. fascinating how they did it. And I mean, they succeeded in three and a bit years. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. Would, is there any other instances of companies done anything like that? Um, that you can point out? I mean, there was a few that have done that on a smaller scale, but I think that one was the, the really big. the unicorn because a lot of them tap into it a little bit here and there, you know, where mm -hmm. somebody releases bloggers do it a lot of the times where they release um, tips for marketing or, you know, a PDF where they, you'll put your email address and collect their, you know, people's data. But they do it on a smaller scale and you don't really see a lot of unicorn status companies use a strategy and succeed as fast as OA did. Mm. So I think that one. Yeah, for the size of a company to develop off using that strategy, that's insane. Oh yeah. And I think it's mostly because like how easy technology has made it to like become an influencer, right? To become, to reach an audience, to build that community. The tools are readily available. You have multiple social media networking sites, right? You have the marketing ability to market, to build up marketing material very cheaply. Uh, the tools are there out, out there for you. That's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time because, yeah. you know, uh, you have the curse of choice. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of tools. There's a lot of things going on. Um, I try to catch up with a few of my friends who are in L.A. and they own their marketing businesses. And they usually give me an update on the trends and what's going on in the social media marketing space. Yeah. And what they told me that, you know, two years ago, they used to have uh, the ability to buy all those bots and actually grow the following that, you know, the, the social media brands have. Yeah. Now, Instagram blocked that because Instagram wants to make sure that you use their actual paid advertising capability. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating how that completely changed how companies market uh, to their consumers. So one of the things now that you can only do is mass viewing of stories, which mm -hmm. is not really that impactful as, you know, buying a bunch of accounts and creating a 10,000 fake following on Instagram. Yeah. But kind of starts building the hype. 
So the only way now to create the following is actually to connect with your viewers and create that offline and online community and be authentic and build the relationships, answer to every comments. That's why, you know, the ratios when the companies try to buy social media engagement online, they look not at followers or likes, they look at actually the comment box and how many people are interacting with each other mm -hmm. and what kind of audience you have. So it's a completely new space all around. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the change, especially in the marketing industry, has been rapidly changed, rapid, right? Oh, yeah. Because um, you see now the emergence of few people now can run an agency if they want to. Just like this. Yeah. It's easy. It's yeah. easy. Um, but it's also, you know, because market is becoming so oversaturated, it is tough to scale. Yeah. And I think the companies that are actually able to do something like that, they're the ones who create some kind of interesting marketing strategy. So I think a lot of companies that I've seen succeed, even in my line of work, all of them had some kind of good market strategy, whether it's B2C, B2B, doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong way. Yeah. Um, I listen to a lot of Gary Vee. Oh, yeah. Crushing it. That's yeah, right. Crushing it. <laughs> 180. I love his 180 strategy. Do you know about that one? No. Can you okay. elaborate? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he talks about 180. So two cents, you pick 10 hashtags, nine relevant posts for that hashtag, and you leave your two cents on all those posts in the comments. But they have to be relevant to the picture. So not just, oh, my goodness, amazing. And you know, copy paste to every post. No, you have to actually look at the person's Instagram, see what they're interested in, see what's going on in their life and try to connect. And so he says that, you know, this is the only way he built his community following. And for the first year or however long, he had no engagement. Nobody commented, nobody replied. And then overnight, it seemed like it scaled, but it wasn't overnight. He yeah. put a lot of work, manual work into it. So one of his strategies is if you actually want to learn and grow your community and have those authentic followers and first adopters for your business. This is how you do it, 180. Jeez, I mean, that's cool that you put it into like a strategy like oh, that, yeah. easy to follow. I mean, I, I'm starting to realize the importance of it and also how much work is required now that I'm running the po this podcast. Are you One doing the, it? We're Are starting you commenting? To, yeah, <laughs> like yeah so I make sure like every someone, someone comments, we comment back, you like their comment, right, yeah. the engagement, the social engagement. But uh, what I'm so uh, bad at is like reaching out across like strangers, right, and commenting on them, try to build that kind of closeness. You're right. I didn't even think of it until actually right now that we should be doing that um, because the tools are there. The tools are there. It's just manual work right now. You know, yeah. every day what he says is set up. You know, 20 minutes, and that's what my friends say. Post twice a day, or you know, do this marketing strategy twice a day, morning and afternoon. Take 20 minutes. It adds up and it's a lot of time. And once you guys decide to scale and you know hire a company, I think that's where a lot of work will come for a lot of people. Setting up those companies that can take care of the posting, the liking, the mm. authentic commenting for the community. But they usually say that you know you got to build your community first, so you have a vision of where you want to go with it, and then you can outsource it to someone and help them to understand how to maintain it. So. so after you identify what your brand and identity is, what your aesthetic is, all those kind of things, you can communicate that better. And Correct. since you've built you first, it's more authentic that way. Correct. Mm. Yep. So that's. Yeah. I mean, what do you find about like these companies who necessarily don't want to take that route, right? To put in that effort. They just want to have some kind of. There's no shortcuts to success. Mm. <laughs> it's uh, one of the things Gary Vee teaches us. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no shortcuts. I, you know. But uh, I mean, do you feel like every company should be pursuing this as a main tactic? 
or it should be just part of their arsenal of marketing tools? Like, should, you know? I think, I think every company should invest on social media um, and social media platforms and set a budget behind it, whatever that might be, whether it's an Instagram influencer, Facebook ads, Facebook groups, LinkedIn posting, whatever that might be, I think it's important for every company to do it. Um, to spend a lot of time on it, it depends what kind of product or service you provide, but you probably should, yeah. you know, depending on your brand, even if it's a tech company, you have to have certain amount of social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, you gotta have it nowadays. Yeah. Yep. It's credibility, I think, at the end of the day. It's credibility, your brand exposure. People would never buy from you if you, they don't know who you are. Mm. And the social media tools are one way to tell your story about your brand and tell everyone what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the main reasons. That's why how sales has evolved, right? Like Pre-internet yeah. to now. Like before, it used to be, sales used to be... Um, Knocking on doors. Now you're doing the same thing, but differently. You're sliding into the DMs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, the touch points are easier. Yeah. Right, but now it's be authentic and providing information. Before you take advantage of people's lack of awareness or lack of knowledge, um, you being the person who has knowledge as a gatekeeper now gives them knowledge and then converts on a deal. That's how it used to be. Now it's about providing as much as you can for free, all your knowledge, all your sets, uh, your your uh, your, uh, your 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 packages and your benefits. Yeah. Your benefits you can offer to that customer for free, and then convert now because you become a thought leader in their minds where you're the person to come for for that kind of need. That's uh, by far how the most successful Instagram influencers became yeah. famous. They always say that, you know, before they had a couple million followers, they started in their bedroom with a blog and posting all the time, mm -hmm. you know, 24 seven, spending on social media 12 hours a day and just giving out content, advice, yeah. tips, whatever it was for free. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, they got enough exposure, they got some advertising deals, and they yeah. all started scaling. Yeah, and this is important for, I think, uh, any kind of, not just influencers in that kind of particular category, but yeah. like any kind of, who, anyone who's trying to, trying to build something for themselves, entrepreneur, right, an activist, um, because that, and having, use these tools not using in this, in this age is like giving up a big resource. Absolutely. Um, being able to communicate your vision and your concept out to a wider audience to find the right talent to support you. Yeah. I think it's crucial but also it's a great strategy to use. Um, do you talk much about this? Like, do you promote the use of social media in entrepreneurship or? Uh, I usually ask every company that I see, you know, what are they doing? Because there's one way to know how you're gonna create your product, you know, your MVP, where are you gonna find money? But I think go-to-market strategy is very, very important because at the end of the day, if you can't find the leads or convert them, create a sale, there's not going to be any revenue. So all the fancy forecasts that I get don't matter because mm -hmm. I know that you don't know your customer. So for a lot of people, you really need to understand who that valuable, authentic customer is. Yeah. Who are you targeting? Who are going to be those loyal people who are going to spend money on your product or service? And one of the ways is for me to find out, you know, how much are you spending on social media? Or what are your products? What is your strategy? And I mean, BDC has one of the products that can tailor towards marketing strategy spend. And there's also ClearBank that helps with, you know, marketing yeah. spend. So there's a lot of uh, ways out there to fund that marketing spend. So mm -hmm. I think it's becoming more popular to ask those questions. Great. So let's um, touch more touch more on BDC. Sure. Right. So what is the business development business development bank of Canada? Yes. Right. Um, what is their motive? Like, what do they want to do? 
What do you guys want to do? Yeah, so the main job is to support entrepreneurs. Um, it's a crown corporation, and uh, you know, we are focused on supporting Canadian companies in Canada, regardless of what industry they're in. Uh, I mean, there's some eligibility criteria, but uh, we just want to make sure that economy grows, the companies stay in Canada, and help other people to find employment. Because if we fund the company and we help it grow, we hope that more people will be employed by the company and we'll just benefit all around. Okay. So our job is to support entrepreneur early on uh, to make sure that they get all the tools and resources they need. And right now I'm acting as a, you know, as a trusted person or connector in the industry. Because a lot of the times I see a lot of startups or younger companies yeah. who ask me all kinds of questions. Oh, I need funding or I need advice. I need strategy. I need to understand where to go. How do I expand? And there's a lot of companies out there who can provide help with that. So my job is to make sure that I can connect them to all the right stakeholders, whether it's advisors or funds, or maybe someone I know in a marketing agency or photography, whatever that might be. You know, chances are I'll know someone or someone will know someone. Yeah. Truly believe in this five degree separation rule that, you know, if you ask someone, there will be some connection to something that you Absolutely. need or want. And what's one of the most important things in the innovation economy when you're trying to build something is you need to know connectors. Oh, yeah. People who at least know the people you need to know. Absolutely. Um, and help figure out what it is that you need to, need to know. Uh, as an entrepreneur, as a founder for any kind of new, new, anything new you're doing, there's a lot of these unknown unknowns. And that's the scariest part. Like things you don't even know you need to know. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people look out for mentors, advisors, and even connectors like yourself who can connect them to the right resources. They might not even know that exist out there is super important. Uh, so kudos on you for doing so. But um, let's talk more about the type of companies that fall under portfolio. So you work on the technology sector. Yes. What kind of companies do you see? Um, every single one. So <laughs> it's funny. We don't really have a defined uh, rule of what technology means. Mm -hmm. It can be uh, software as a service, hardware as a service, any business in IoT, uh, artificial intelligence, virtual reality. Um, pharma tech, uh, platform, an app, media, anything that has a tech component of some sort of another yeah. will be in my portfolio potentially. Yep. Or I can talk to a company and say, hey, you know what? Mm -hmm. We can find your funding or figure out what we can do for you. Yep. So yeah, I look at all of them and that's why I probably see, uh, I don't know, uh, 20 to 30 companies a week mm -hmm. and they're all different and you spend time anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and you just get to listen to what they have to say about their product service, what problem they're solving, what are they struggling with and when do they need help and where do they need help or what are the next milestones are. And they also educate you a lot about their business because there's no way you can know everything about industry. So a lot of the entrepreneurs really you know, tell you all about their market, give you their pitch deck and tell you about how it works, what kind of multiples they get in their industry. So I get to learn a lot as well. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it the best job ever. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the, be able to see people who are doing so many cool things in so many oh, yeah. industries, especially within tech. I mean, I can imagine you've uh, heard a lot of cool pitches, cool ideas. There is, yes. Um, there's a few companies that, you know, ask me, what do they do? What, what are they supposed to do? Raise money in Canada or go to the US? Mm. And they walk you through their model and some of them give you crazy numbers like, you know, today we have zero revenues, but in a year, we'll, we'll definitely make $30 million <laughs> because this is our market. I think at one point, one of the entrepreneurs I talked to, 
just at a networking event, he told me that his, uh, his potential market, well, his actually market for his product is 7 billion people. And I was like, no, no, that's how many people are in the world. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but my product will be, will be available and usable by all of the people. I was like, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Tell me more. So yeah. you meet you meet interesting cases uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, people who are very, <laughs> very excited about their idea and very passionate. They're exponential thinkers. Yes. Right? Yes, yeah. that's right. I agree with exponential thinkers. <laughs> yeah. Right. They see like um, rapid growth, rapid uh, rapid deployability, but then um, execution. Execution that. is the main thing. It, you can have that. all these dreams and ideas, but if you can execute the right way, yeah, not gonna happen. Cool. So seeing these kind of companies, right? Like we mentioned it's kind of like the hyper focus now of like this tech, but it's tech and everything. Yes. Pharma tech. Like I guess I, I was talking earlier, the year to um, to uh, a innovation lab in uh, pick in uh, sorry, PEI. Yeah. Right? And they have fisheries tech, right? So technology that makes like yeah. crab farming, like crab hunting like uh, easier, like smart crab traps type of thing. Right, so there's tech being implemented in all different industries now. So the one we see a hyper, like specialization of uh, industrialization of uh, like tech coming in particular industries. Yeah. And then also the cross collaboration of tech being able to merge different industries together. Right. Do you see any like emerging patterns and like what kind of tech is coming out? I think everybody is trying to get into AI. Yeah. I mean machine learning, yes. but um, everybody says AI. It's yeah. like this new hot word that yeah. everybody uses on their website and their pitch decks. You know, you ask them how they're going to yeah. analyze their data. It's going to be AI. So a lot of the times you have to ask a lot more questions. What does that mean? And then once you dig deeper, a lot of people say, "Oh well, once we develop the technology further, that's what we're envisioning." Yeah. So I think it will be exciting to see what happens. Uh, you need to have a lot of data for AI to work. So it's we're not there yet, yeah. but get in there. So I think that's the common uh, the common denominator in a lot of companies. Uh, and you're right, a lot of companies right now are getting into tech one way or another. Any company that was brick and mortar are getting another source of revenue. You know, maybe this new software thing that they did or a sensor they developed. Um, any manufacturing plant just tries to get this recurring revenue model. And that's another new thing that everybody's trying to do because they realize your valuations are higher. Yep. If you get your revenue model in perpetuity, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so everybody's trying to, I think, step away from licensing and then get the you know subscription model services where you just yeah, cause get it's money easier to, Yeah, because <laughs> it's easier to show the growth pattern, exactly. right? the hockey stick, gra stick graph. Yeah. So then you can like raise as like a uh, multiple of your revenue. Oh, absolutely. Potential revenue. Investors, investors love it. Yeah. You know, because in their eyes, your business could be making money forever. So it's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those are the main trends right now. And um, very fortunate to be in the industry because yeah. I think five or four years ago, it wasn't the case that everybody could be in tech because we were very heavily focused on people who can develop the code or understand how to code or figure out, you know, the technical parts of the business. Now we're getting more into you know people selling tech companies or people selling money to tech companies or people in sales get involved with tech, but selling the technology, telling the story. So it's getting more exciting that way, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because like the tech has such a problem with sales, as was mentioned before in a previous <laughs> podcast, right? Like 
technical mind people have a hard time hiring the right people or valuing sales. Yeah. A lot of engineers have this type where it's like, if I build it, people will come because it's Absolutely. so amazing. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> that doesn't always happen. That, and like, uh, they don't really invest in the, invest in like the type of like, the people required to push yeah. the vision, to push like how great this product is. They're like, if this is so great, people will come to me. Absolutely. Um, and uh, it's great you're seeing like the connectability of the sales industry of how they're now cross-utilizing the technical capabilities of different companies and selling, right? Yeah. Um, where like even we do this, right? So we do sales outsourcing for tech companies. Ooh. And now what we do is now we have, the supply has been crazy. The amount of tech companies who want to outsource their sales um, because they're all having issues with this. So now we, get, we have the choice of working with the type of companies and type of industries we want. And we're connecting them now to the- We can raise your prices, you know, supply and demand market, that's how it works, yeah. raise your prices and- So we're pretty much developing a two-sided marketplace where people who want to sell yeah. are connected with people who want things to be sold, right? And we're developing this and we're seeing this explosion of need yeah. of people who are like, yeah, yeah, we're down to outsource it, right? We're willing to work on how making our product really great, but if you could help us communicate how great it is, perfect, we'll pay for that, right? And like it. uh, it's, been a great, it's been a great validation of my hypothesis when I started this last year. And uh, yeah, like these companies want to focus on building how uh, great solutions to a problem they want, but they're not necessarily in the mind state to be able to communicate that, right? Um, yeah, I mean, do you see, do you agree with this? Like, do you yeah, see companies so struggle with sales? Like, I would say that you know a lot of people build the product, as you said, and I mean we're you know we've explored different models, different business models, and figuring out how to scale the business, agile methodologies, and scaling lean and um, I think the important part is to build a product for the problem that you see in the market mm. to make sure that you're solving something. And that's the usual thing that you know everybody knows, but I think a lot of people forget once they start building the product because mm. a lot of people are just so ingrained in whatever their solution is because yeah. it's awesome. And they forget to actually go back into the market and iterate and test and see what the customer actually wants. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to make sure that you consistently tap back into your market as you develop the product, because otherwise you'll develop something that customers wanted three months ago. Now they want something completely different. Yeah. So whenever you actually develop and bring that thing into the market, nobody will buy it, mm -hmm. and you just wasted your time. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. One of the things is sales team, iteration to make sure that you're consistently building and improving something that customers want. And working with those two, throughout the process. It's, you know, it's, it has to be a faster cycle. Now we live in the time of, you know, fast paced economy. Yep. You have to constantly innovate and constantly go back and forth, get feedback from your customers to make sure you have them and you keep those authentic, loyal and committed people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool. So this is exciting that the Toronto's, the Toronto's tech scene right now is who is booming. It's booming, right? The last year, last two years. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, we've seen some spectacular growth. Spectacular growth. All the conferences. I mean, we had Collision in May. We had mm -hmm. Elevate just passed by, which was crazy busy. And I mean, SAS North is coming up. There's a lot of things happening, and Canada is becoming. Well, I mean, Canada is now one of the centers for tech. A lot of talent. It's cheaper talent because of the dollar, and I th I see a lot of U.S. companies coming and looking for Canadian talent because at the end of the day, you can work from your laptop a lot of the times, right? Yeah. You can be mobile. So it's, uh, yeah, Toronto is definitely on the map. Absolutely. I mean, the, you, you hit it right there. Like I think being cheaper on the dollar, like we're 30 cents cheaper than American dollar to hire Absolutely. the same kind of talent. But I think it's also conversely is that 
before that, Canada, Canada used to be a hub for creating talent that leads to the states to, or leads somewhere else to go and make their mark, yeah. right? Um, but nowadays, mostly because of the Trump era, right, people are staying here, yeah. right? A lot because the immigration has changed for the states. Um, H-1B visas are no longer being approved as, yeah. as much. Um, so the visa program is not working. So a lot of the talent used to go to the states are coming to Canada as well. So the yeah. talent's accumulating here now. So companies are forced to come here. I love it. Right, it's and uh, and I think it's amazing for what's been what's been done the last two years, like the boom coming. So, do you think it's going to continue? Like, Ooh, as well, more and more companies come in? Oh goodness! Everybody's saying we're going to have recession at some point. I mean, we're supposed to have it this year, and maybe not this year, maybe next year. So, I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. It it depends. It depends on the workforce, the companies that are coming in, what industries are going to scale. What happens to the real estate market? There's so so many moving pieces mm -hmm. that it's hard to predict but do I think that Toronto will definitely stay uh, uh, on the map oh yeah like we are here to stay with you know Raptors winning and hopefully this year it will yep. happen again um, there's a lot of things going yep. on in Toronto and the industry is so diversified mm -hmm. that um, it's a good place to be right now yeah definitely yeah I mean do you see yourself ever starting a company a startup no, maybe you know it's we'll see we'll see if, uh, if a great idea pops into my head I'm always open I have this entrepreneurial mind which helps me you know do my current job mm -hmm. perfectly well I don't know who knows if you would would it be like a side hustle like like mm. a Shopify store you run the side or like you know sales through, sales through Instagram as influencer marketing or what would you do what's oh, your ideal man. scenario or would you create like a company somewhere? I feel like you know all the knowledge that I have would be wasted mm -hmm. if I don't use it for building a company. Yeah. Um, so I think my initial response would be building a company, but if somebody wants to, you know, make me an Instagram influencer and if I have something <laughs> valuable to provide, I will take that. Awesome. Um, probably not for consumer products. Something I don't know. I don't yeah. even know what I would Instagram on my Instagram to to you know promote, Definitely. but. Yeah, I could, I could try it. Why not? You know what? Yeah. The rule is never to say no to things. You always have to stay open to opportunities. Yeah. I mean, you seem like a person, because we, like, uh, like, you go out to these tech events all the time. You're highly oh, yeah. personable. Right, you are. No. The whole thing you do is talking to people. <laughs> right? Would you ever take that presence online? Do like an online, like a podcast like what we're doing right now, or even like an Instagram account Ooh, dedicated to talking about startups? Be a competitor startups? in your business? Um, I don't know. It depends. Yeah. I think you guys have a good thing going. You have to have now something cool to talk about. And I think one of the other things Gary talks about is Alexa briefings and skills. Yep. You know, he talks a lot about giving time back and figuring out how you can take the concept of, you know, you never buy more time. And at the end of the day, how do you help people yeah. to consume more in less time? And what are the next applications, platforms, and startups that are going to be doing that? And Alexa briefings and skills is one of the things that he mentions. I don't know if you know about it. Yep. Okay. Yep. So it's like mini chunks of, you know, kind of like a podcast, yep. but the Alexa briefings is only two minutes. They recommend 30 seconds to a minute, which is interesting. So I think maybe potentially I would look into that because I like the, the short cool. bursts of energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting because like, I do Google Assistant all the time, yeah. right? like the Google Assistant uh, for my alarms. So in the morning, my alarm goes off. The moment I dismiss it, after you know, I snooze it like three, seven four times. Seven times now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, seven times. That's more accurate. That's actually more accurate. Um, you dismiss it, like it starts playing news briefing. 
of things that I already prescribed before or like before, right? Yep. And yeah, new and interesting stuff comes up all the time. And it's a great thing to listen to in the morning, you're doing your morning routine. And yeah. so similar to that, Alexa has like, and um, Google Home probably has like a news briefing that you can, anyone can make a, start making. Correct. Okay. So it's a platform that's developed. Exactly. Yeah. So I think one of the things that Gary Vee is saying, you know, those briefings are here to stay because people sometimes don't have the time for a full podcast or audiobook or, you know, when you're doing something, some people are not good at multitasking. Yeah. So you can only stay focused for so long. So sometimes, I mean, I don't know if you get that. I definitely get that a lot because I do audible books. Yeah because it's faster and easier on the go. But sometimes I'll be listening to something, you know, 15 minutes in, and I'll snap back and realize that I totally missed the chapter. So I'd have to rewind it because I do not understand what we're going yeah, for yeah, here yeah, and yeah. What, what is happening. So I feel like the briefings would be my preferred way to live life going forward. Yeah. <laughs> if I need to learn something, Absolutely. admit it. Plus, like, it helps you, uh, it's like a hook, right? Help you find what you're looking for or exactly. not even know what you're looking for. Yeah. So you can listen to multiple of those and then find a topic that you want to explore more about. And that can direct you to the full, full length podcast. Oh, yeah. Full length episode, right? Or if you're interested on practices, meditation, whatever that might be, you know, motivational speeches. Like if you're interested in a full TED talk mm -hmm. for an hour, 45 minutes, here's the links. But this is our, the, you know, the main things you need to learn. Um, one of the other apps is Blinklist. Yeah. I tried it out. I mean, it is pretty good. 15 minutes summary of the books, kind of like Spark Notes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I ha I used to have them both, Blank List and Audible, interchangeably. So is it like professionally done, or this amateur is doing this? Like I would say, I mean, I don't know who is doing it on the backside, but I would say that sounds pretty professional. And I've done it to a few books that I've read myself, and they do a pretty good job. I mean, yeah, of course they can summarize the whole book, but they give you the snippets, yeah. especially if you read books on leadership, business, strategy. It's really good to have blank list yeah. handy because they give you the snippets that you really need to know and really need to understand. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the really interesting co um, concepts that's introduced to me uh, from Gary, uh, not Gary Vee, sorry, uh, Joe Rogan. Joe oh, Rogan Experience. Oh, yes, you yes. Listen to Joe Rogan Experience at all? The podcast? Yeah. So um, there's one thing he said. It's like nowadays through the internet, mostly like through YouTube and like other apps like that, yeah. um, it's like the printing press being invented all over again. Just like what the printing press did to like the written word, being yep. able to like you know reprint things and spread the written word at a faster rate, a cheaper rate to the masses, the internet is doing that to the spoken word. Because now Absolutely. we can now we can like record in real time the spoken word in, in at mass very cheaply, right at great scale and deliver it to a great scale. Oh, yeah. So the spoken idea, the word, the spoken like the actual conversations from people, the mindsets are being now compressed, saved into formats that can be now delivered to other people's minds at a rapid scale. And it's a complete new transformation of how people are communicating and like getting information. So we're being more tightly bound as a society. I mean, we're overloading ourselves with information. That too. <laughs> Love that it. That too, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot more going on. I think one of the things that entrepreneurs have to be mindful of is to figure out how to Focus on your business, but also give some time to yourself. So one of the things that I learned from Elevate, it was a good mm -hmm. talk with Rachel David, and uh, she was talking about the creator burnout. So a lot of people who create content on YouTube or Instagram or podcasts, whatever the platform is, they live in the constant creation mode 24-7. Mm -hmm. And they forget that, you know, oh, sometimes it's important to the step back yeah. and do something for yourself 
without trying to earn money or without trying to give something back to your community so you can grow more. Yeah. Um, and one of the things they recommend is you know, to make sure that you have something else that grounds you back to your values and to your why, whether it's painting or running or jogging or volunteering, whatever that might be for you, to do it on the side, apart from your business, apart from your side hustle, something that doesn't you know, necessarily have to make you money. Kind of hard for you know for me to to tap into that because yeah. from my Russian mentality and you know, <laughs> Soviet Union upbringing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why would you waste time? But it's yeah. it's you know you gotta break that mindset. Yeah. Sometimes it's just good to you know be mindful, meditate, and take time for yourself. So what do you do? I jog okay. a lot uh, by the waterfront. Nice. Which is wonderful in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, I also paint. I actually recently got back into painting. I went to art school. Um, okay. Yeah, for 10 years. Wow. And I stopped doing it because I didn't want to be a starving artist. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of those, you know, Soviet Union mentalities. You so you went from uh, being an artist to working in banking. Right? The That's safest a transformation. thing you can do. <laughs> I know. I love it. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, crazy. Yeah. No, uh, I, feel, I feel like you got to be a different kind of person that, you know, doesn't get stressed out by just creating something and taking time and seeing what if it yeah. doesn't work out. Do you still create on the side? Like, do you Yeah, I, not for sale. I mean, yeah. I might do something for you just because. Oh, um, perfect. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, just on the side, nothing too crazy, whether yeah. it's oil or watercolor. Okay. I mean, nothing. Do you do any like actual like um, graphic design maybe, like on the computer? So this is one of the things I wanted to see if I could tap into. Um, yeah. I've been playing around with a few tools online and, you know, picture editing. I've been trying to tap into photography. I used to do modeling for a bit, okay. but I realized I like to be on the other side of the camera. Yeah. So unfortunately, photography wasn't for me. I always bring the huge camera with me on every traveling trip. I never bring it with me because it's too heavy and yeah. I don't like living behind the camera. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I found this thing where, you know, I like when other people take pictures of the moment, yeah. but not myself. So creative process is important, and I think everybody should have something. I also like doing yoga. Yeah. Highly recommend for everyone. Some of the most successful CEOs I've met, they say that, you know, the way they stay grounded and succeed, they do the meditation practice every morning yeah. without fail, a couple minutes to just set their intentions. Make sure that their day starts off right. Amazing. So, highly recommend. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm getting more and more into that actually. Like, you hear more of people who are starting off the day with meditation. Even Henry was talking about the tenets of that. Yeah. And um, how that grounds them right from the beginning of the day. Oh yeah. Right. So me, I start off with a workout. Right. Hit okay. the gym right right in the beginning of the day. I like right. It. Get the body like you know stressed out right from the beginning. So you get that pump. You're um, get adrenaline. your blood flowing. Adrenaline running. So. It's also the hardest thing to do, right? Getting to what the gym. What time do you wake up? Are you a 5 a.m. club member? No, I'm a, I'm a night owl. What's going on? So like, I, I stay up to like 2 a.m. Like, oh, okay. these guys get emails from me at like 2, a, 2 3 o'clock in the morning, but I'm usually up by like, at least by 8 to hit the gym. Okay, yeah, yeah. I like it. And then you go to bed at 2 a.m. Yeah, like late, like my creative side comes out of me at nighttime. So when I do anything creative, designing any graphics, any kind of new uh, concept, kind of putting it into paper, Yeah. Like, after like 6 o'clock p.m. onwards, it's when it comes out, which is super frustrating because no one else is awake around that time, right? No one else is working. Perfect. Right? But you get the time to yourself, and that's when I create. Interesting. I like yeah. to wake up early, and I try to spend the first, you know, a couple hours. You're a hours. morning person? Yeah, well, 
Yes, I became a morning person recently because the 5 a.m. club yeah. has been this. The know, 5 a.m. club, yeah. yeah. The, the main book you have to read, you have to learn, and you have to follow the rules. So I tried. Yeah. And uh, it, was, uh, it was definitely a challenge at first. But I think I'm getting into it, you know, a few months into it. I'm trying to wake up at 5 a.m. Yeah. Doesn't always work. Sometimes I hit the snooze button all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seven times. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get into it. And uh, the couple hours in the morning really help you to get your day started. Yeah. The gyms are usually empty. Yeah. So that's a good thing. And, uh, yeah, you get uh, into work. You already feel productive because you've been up for a few hours. And then, unfortunately, I go to bed earlier. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I can't I'm, stay up until 2 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, like usually most days, now I'm trying to push back, try to sleep early, earlier, wake up earlier, because I agree with you. Yeah. The tenants of like waking up like early, especially the 5 a.m. club, it's been proven that like, you know, get your day started earlier, you're prepared to meet the day when everyone else is just starting, starting their productivity, yeah. you're already at your productive moments, right? And it's been proven that, yeah, in the mornings, you get like the actual work you need done. Oh, First, yeah. you're, you're kind of smooth. Because your brain is fresh and you, you, know, you just uh, have all these ideas, all the blood flow. I also read somewhere, maybe it's you know, definitely not a scientific magazine, mm -hmm. but somewhere if you go to bed before 10 a.m., your body internally counts an hour before 12 a.m., so from 10, 11, and 11 to 12, as two hours. So apparently your body thinks that you're getting four hours of sleep in that time instead of two. So that's how a lot of CEOs you know, go to bed at 10 wake up at three and start working Jeez. because their body thinks, okay, well, I got four hours here and then I also got another three hours. That seven hours is enough. I can start <laughs> working at 3 a.m. So I've met a few guys who do that and uh, it is insane. Yeah. Tried it. doesn't work for me. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Yeah. I mean, definitely some people can work like that. I mean, Pratip has a messed up uh, sleep cycle. This guy's up oh, yeah? all night sometimes, like all nighters all the time. I don't know how you do it, man. That's my crazy Interesting. So when do you go to bed? I like it. So me and Prati sometimes three in the morning, four in the morning, we're exchanging ideas. Everyone else is like knocked out, yeah, gone. Yeah, <laughs> he's the only other person. So I'll have like a creative outburst and I'm like, I'm trying to like map it out. Right. I'm like drawing, I'm like mapping out how this Those aha moments. Out. Yeah, you know, aha moments. Those happen to me later at night. And I'm like, yo, Prati. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And he's like, he's editing too, so we're on the we're on a, doing a phone call or like texting it. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Solving all the existential problems. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I mean, almost like bartending schedule. Yeah. So if you ever need a gig, you know you're set for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you said you mentioned you came from Russia like nine yeah. years ago, right? I mean, what's that transition been like? You know, it wasn't like Russia is still catching up with capitalism, right? It's still. Um, yeah, it's it's very different. I would say. You how's know, the mindset there when it comes to starting a business? It's the way in Russia. A lot of people are very entrepreneurial because you got to be like you got to hustle. Yep. The hard work mentality comes from that side as well. Whether it's Soviet Union, you know, my mom was a single mom working three jobs, and it just the way it was. Like no other way like what do you mean you don't work three jobs so i think being brought up with that mentality having a lot of interests a lot of schools on the side you know being always involved in whether it's ballet or art school whatever that is um really helps currently nowadays 
So what do you mean I don't have time for this? You know, you always try to engage yourself in 17 different things. Um, starting a business, a lot of people do start businesses there. And I think you see a lot of it coming out in marketing, digital, in Russia as well. Um, it's not as easy, I would say, as in Canada, I think, because culturally it's yeah. very different. Um, in Russia, a lot of people like, you know, education is very important. There's no such thing as you drop out of university and start a business. Mm -hmm. In Russia, a lot of people have to go to school, uh, to university, to just get a serving job. Mm. So I remember, you know, growing up, that was how it was all the time. Like you had to go to school, you had to go to university. And a lot of my friends had two majors, two minors, three degrees at the same time, because the more degrees you get, the more check marks you get, the better opportunities you get. Mm -hmm. So I think it's changed over the past 10 years. I really hope it has. But I think Canada is definitely, right now, a better market. There's only, what, 36 million people in Canada? Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity for growth, innovation, you know, um, a lot more freedom, I would yeah. say, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, mm -hmm. and uh, a lot more openness. So, yeah, definitely in that sense, a lot of difference. Yeah. So what brought you here from Russia? Was school? You started with college? Uh, yeah, we moved with my mom. My mom got a job in Canada, and uh, we moved as a, as a family. Um, it was early in my high school career. Yeah. So I got into Canada and then finished up high school and then joined university and uh, never looked back. Yeah, It's been good. You know, I lived in Calgary when oil and gas was booming. It was interesting to see how, you know, the economy tied to just one sector yep. could operate in good times and bad times. So I think the one reason I love Toronto is, one of many reasons I love Toronto is that there's no specific sector that Toronto is tied to. There's a lot of different things from you know tech to yep. real estate to manufacturing. Uh, there's a lot of different things happening. A lot of people do different kind of jobs and are experienced in different industries. And I think it's a good place to be. That's great. Like. So let's talk a little bit about that transition right, as being an immigrant, right? Like, was there a culture shock coming from Russia to here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're from the, the west coast of Russia, right? By the um, coast. Yes, from, from oh, the east. East. Coast. east. Uh, the place is called Vladivostok or Vladivostok yeah. in Russian. And uh, it's similar to Vancouver, San Francisco, surrounded by water from three sides. Um, you're just three hours from the border with China. So, you know, here you'll go and. Uh, spend three hours in a car and get to Muskoka. In uh, Vladivostok, you can go three hours and be in China. Maybe. And, do uh, people do that? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you go for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Just similar to, you know, you'd drive or go to New York for the weekend. You would go to China for the weekend yeah. and just spend time there. Um, so do a lot of that. You can go to Korea or Japan in about an hour. Mm -hmm. Very close to North Korea and South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's, it's different culturally. Yeah. Climate is milder, similar to Vancouver. And uh, yeah, when you got to Canada, it was cold. Yeah. Uh, Calgary was very cold. So Canada's colder than oh, yeah. that part of Russia. I okay. never had to buy an actual winter jacket. Oh, really? It was, it would rain, it would snow, yeah. you know, twice, twice a season and not that bad. Jeez, and welcome you to would Canada. Never, yeah, you would never have to get, you know, a toque. I actually had to learn what yeah. a toque meant when I moved to Canada got my first winter, winter jacket and uh, get used to it. So that was probably one of the hardest things. Mm. Language, I mean, it's a different language. Yeah, yeah. Uh, different mannerisms, I would say. One of the things I learned uh, in Russia 
Nobody asks you, how are you? When you meet someone, you know, you say, hey, how's it going? In Russia, you just don't ask that. You okay. don't, you, you just don't because unless you really care, you just don't ask because you don't want to listen to everyone's problems. <laughs> <laughs> so never ever. So at first when I moved to Canada, when people used to ask me that, I would really give them my whole life story. <laughs> and then somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, like, that's not how you do it. You just say you're okay. I'm like, well, but why are they asking if they don't care? Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was one of the things I learned. Yes. That's actually a joke. So that was a major difference you saw right from the beginning. Like, I would say one of, yeah, because, yeah. you know, you kind of... think Canadians are nicer? Is, is that part of the reason why? It, with Russian people, they don't tend to sugarcoat things. If yeah. they don't like something, you'll know. Yeah. And I think I carry a lot of that in my personality. I don't like sugarcoating things. I'll yeah. tell you if I have a problem with something and we'll solve it. Recently, I was working with somebody who just uh, came from India. And he's like, he just, for the first time after he came and worked in Toronto, yeah. he's been here for like two years, um, he went back home and he went to, and he was at his friend's house. And he was like, hey, can you give me some tea, please? Right? And he's like, oh, can I, can I use your washroom? And the friend just stopped. He's like, why do you keep asking me please? Why do you keep saying please? And why do you keep saying thank you? Like, you don't have to. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I have to yeah. provide this for you. Like, they, they felt disrespected by them saying thank you and please. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean? Like, why are you being, adding all these niceties to this? Are we not friends? <laughs> all right? And the guy's like, no, it's like, I just got used to that because of Canada. Right? <laughs> he explained to his friend, I was not being, I was not joking with you. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, yeah. if somebody steps on you, I learned that as well. Yeah. If somebody steps on you when I travel, I always apologize for being in their way. Yeah. It's just one thing that you pick up when you're in Canada. You're yeah. like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you just say, I'm so sorry all the time. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to say. <laughs> yeah, you apologize for everything. The yeah, holding the door for way too long. Yeah, <laughs> for, for yeah, I do that all the time too. So when I visited Russia four years ago, the same thing. I was apologizing everywhere. People were asking me where I'm from, mm -hmm. uh, even though I spoke Russian. Yeah, like I'm from here. They're like, no, you're not. Is it because now, us. like, you speak Russian with an accent, or they tell me that yes, I do speak. I do speak Russian with an accent now. Um, I also speak English with an accent, so it doesn't seem like I belong anywhere. Um, the immigrant life. Yeah. It's a Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that? Is so that, that, everyone who's not, if you're from Toronto, you say Toronto. If you're not from Toronto, oh, you say no. Toronto. I adjusted myself in just three years. Look yeah, at there me. you go. You're not one of us. You're one of us. Is it a bad thing or a good thing? It's a good thing. Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Toronto. Yeah. So that's the difference. That's it. If you're homeborn from here, if you're like uh, from Toronto, you say Toronto. Toronto. And that's, okay. a, that's the main difference. That's how you know. I like it. I have no idea. Yeah. It's a good girl. Yeah. And it's only lately, like recently, I've noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I. Just became I part hear of all it. of you guys speak, and I just mimic it because yeah. you know that's what you pick up, right? That's what you do when you don't know the language, and you gotta learn. You just see what other people are doing, and you just mimic that. Yeah, that's what I've been doing for the last ten years. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Immigrant life. Everyone hey, here. it's working for you. Yeah, I can understand you, so it's fine. Yeah. Oh, you're good. Yeah. You're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, Toronto is one of the most multicultural cities in the world, right? Like. How has it been coming here? Like, Amazing. Was it, was it a shock for your, for your system? I uh, know. So I think 
Coming from Calgary, I always loved Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. Loved it. Now you're overthinking it. Yeah, now, yeah. now I'm overthinking <laughs> it. So, so yeah. Is it, should I, should I, how should I say it? Uh, no, I, I love the city because it is so multicultural. There are so many different things to do. Um, there's a lot of events going on all the time. Mm. And one of the things I learned when I moved here from Calgary is there's uh, a lot of burnout going to happen if you do not pace yourself. <laughs> Because when I moved here, the first thing I did, I told myself that I'm going to do everything. Mm. I'm going to attend every event, every festival, meet every person, do everything, say yes to everything. And that is impossible in the mm. city because there is 25 things happening every single day yeah. that you want to attend at the same time. And you still try to make it in the first probably three to four months when I moved here. I tried to do that every single day. I would just be out meeting people, networking, learning, um, burnt myself out, realized not sustainable. <laughs> so now I got rid of fear of missing out completely. Yeah. And now I'm grounded and I tell myself that wherever I go, the universe will present me the proper opportunities yeah, yeah. and people. And that's how we met. So yeah. you know what? It makes sense. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the proper uh, like thing you learn through youth, right? Like oh, yeah. you want to do everything and everything because you're like, you don't know where you want to do go. Oh, yeah. But you had energy, so let's like, this is like... Well, and Toronto is perfect for opportunities yeah. because it's actually giving you all of those things right at your fingertips. Yeah. Um, in Calgary, you didn't really have that. Even though you wanted to do all of those things, there's not... The opportunity wasn't there. Yeah, the events are not happening, you know, 25 times a day. Yeah. So maybe there's something exciting happening once a week or every two weeks, and you'll definitely attend that. So once you move to Toronto, Toronto, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you really overextend yourself. Yeah. So that would be probably one of the so you, shocks. Yeah, I mean, Toronto is like an old banking town. Like, you know, oh, professionalism yeah. runs deep here, right? Worrying about your career, worrying about your job, worrying about, you know, what your future is. Oh, yeah. We're much more, um, I guess, that like professional centric in our, in, our, in the city. That's what I've noticed from feedback from the rest of Canada. And a lot of people move here too. So I found when I moved to Calgary, it was, you know, not as easy to make friends because either people have been there for a while or they have their groups and cliques. And not a lot of people live downtown. A lot of people live in the suburbs outside yep. of the city. Here, everybody lives downtown. Yep. A lot of young professionals, you know, who came here for work, whether they moved from another city or from another country, it's easy to make friends. And everybody I found for myself, everybody's more open. Yeah. So it was not a problem to find people, do things. You just have to make sure that, you know, you, you set those boundaries and make yeah. sure that you get yourself time to restore yeah. and, uh, you know, ground yourself back into your values and morals and go and paint, yeah. do yoga, I don't know, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. floats your boat. No doubt. I mean, I think that as a cultural shift, the city experienced too, like the past 10 years, not even 10 years, maybe like even like five years, really, when people have become more open to meeting and, and changing. Oh, yeah. I mean, before, it used to be very closed. Like, very, it used really? to be a very conservative city. It's a banking city. Well, see, right? I wouldn't so, know because I just moved three years ago. Yeah. So, for me, so you came in right amazing. Like, yeah, you came in say there's a change where everyone's become more like, more like Silicon Valley tech style. Yeah. Like, yeah, we want to go out for coffee. Let's get drinks. Let's go meet. Let's go to these events. Let's go meet new people. Right? Uh, it used to be before, like, I do my own thing. Why are you talking to me? Oh no! Right, like I'm easy. So sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you had to experience that. I'm so sorry. Well, I don't think so. I mean, like, uh, I think it's a pr experience is a perfect time to grow. So you can yeah. you can evaluate the difference in the, in the environment and oh, the, yeah. and how people are with each other. And it, this is the best time to take advantage of that. 
like new generation, especially coming up, new professionals are Absolutely. definitely different. They're open to, to meeting, meeting up. Even the old ones have changed their ways, right? The old boys clubs are broken down, right? Like let's yeah, change the work spaces, workhouse spaces. Everybody now has, you know, there's a bunch of different co-working spaces popping up where you can get desk or an office. And I think a lot of startups are prefer preferring that. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of hubs on university campuses, as I found out. But there's a lot of like startups that I see. They just work out of co-working spaces because they get resources. They yeah. find like-minded entrepreneurs. They find like-minded people and businesses. And uh, a lot of advisors there as well. So it builds this community Definitely. right in the center of the city which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, um, so going back to the companies you see, right? do you see a lot of companies that come out of these kind of incubators, accelerators, like, or do they you know, organically grow by themselves? They come out of existing companies? Like, yeah. Where do they come out of? Where are they, where are they Ooh, forming? Interesting, interesting question. I see all kinds of things. So there's, there's a couple of companies that you know, do an incubator or accelerator after accelerator because each accelerator or incubator helps them to develop different products, different uh, you know, strategies, helps them with different stage of their startup. There are some companies that I've seen that you know, people with 20, 30 years of experience um, working in a marketing firm or an agency of some sort that build up their credibility and skill set. And they realize there's a problem that you know, the agency is not solving. So they decided that they're going to create their own thing. And right off the bat, as they create their mm -hmm. own company, they hit a million dollar mark in revenue the same year. So different path because there's also some smaller companies that you know kind of slowly get to their MVP, then try to scale, develop their product market, problem solution fit, and you know get that inflection point and start scaling very fast, hockey stick growth. Yeah, yeah. And I see all of them. Like it just depends, and you can't even say you know what's the best thing to start if you would start a company right now, because yeah, marketing agencies have different paths. Uh, software companies, platforms, apps. It depends what you're interested in. I think if you're passionate about something, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter where you're coming from. Yeah. As long as you're willing to learn and work hard, because as you, you know, as they say, hard work beats talent. If talent doesn't work hard. Yep. So. I mean, that's great. You touched upon that being like passion being the unique identifier among the the variety of startups or variety of companies being formed. Because everyone who who is a serious investor, or even like people who see deal flow like you, like a lot yeah. of different kind of companies, all say the same thing. Like you cannot evaluate if a company is gonna work or not out of just purely metrics, because there's so many different things to look at. There's but, so many variables. You know, yeah. you never know, and it depends on the industry. If somebody's making right now an app or a platform in real estate, who knows what's gonna happen? You know, yeah. it's very difficult to predict. So, but investing on the passion of the entrepreneur. Yeah can double down on that. So, I mean, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot like in the startup industry, right? It's like, focus on your passion. Oh, yeah. Right? If you're going to build something, because that'll ride you through the ups and downs of what you're trying to build. But there's still a lot of people who try to just build something just because, right? Like, oh, I see this yeah, happening. This is a buzzword yeah. right now. <laughs> you know, I can, you know, I can, I want to make a play at this. And they try yeah. and attempt, attempt these things, but they don't stand out because you can tell they're not passionate about it. It takes a different kind of person. I, um, I just recently finished a, a book about Airbnb and how they started. Yeah. And the first great story. Yeah, it's fantastic how they started. And you know, the first year, they were basically not making money. The business wasn't doing well. They got in the accelerator that year, I think. Mm -hmm. 
But one of the reasons why they got through all the challenges is because when their first idea wasn't working, they created the Obama-O's, the Cheerio yes. that you know they sold, and they brought it to investors or I think the accelerator guys, and, and that's what sold them on it because the entrepreneurs were actually able to sell a product. Yeah. Similar to, you know, go back to the away luggage case, right? Yeah. The person who sells the product that's not in the market where you're trying to do, but this is just, you know, the means of getting there. The hustle. Shows, yes, yeah, shows yeah. the grit, the perseverance yeah. and passion for what you're doing. And you're trying to do whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever it takes to get you there. Yeah. So I think that's important. That's amazing. Uh, you're absolutely right on that. Like the, the grit and the hustle behind the entrepreneur really gets the idea moving. That's what helps with execution, right? You get, oh, yeah. get, to, the, get to the final form. Um, so let's close up with BDC and what they do for entrepreneurs, right? Like if, if people want to engage with the Business Development Bank of Canada, like how do they, how do they uh, approach you guys and why should they? Um, I mean, well, they should approach us if they want money yeah. <laughs> or if they want advisory services. So not a lot of people know that BDC has advisory services. It's, you know, the best uh, secret we keep. Um, so so a lot someone of, like yourself? Like no, you're... so we have an actual uh, external team of consultants that will help entrepreneurs and it depends on what they need. There's marketing strategy, there's expansion strategy, market expansion strategy, social media or marketing and sales, HR. So there's a lot of solutions for entrepreneurs and companies. And the more I talk about it in the, you know, in the community, a lot of people are surprised. They say, oh, I never knew that. Mm -hmm. I never knew BDC actually does consulting. Yeah. So that's one of the things that, you know, what helps me to actually love my job because we do two things, money and consulting. And money, it depends. It can be venture capital because BDC has a few venture capital funds mm -hmm. and it's debt. And it depends. On what you need. In terms of, yeah, in terms of debt, um, in total through different groups. Some companies that qualify can get up to $35 million in debt, right? Yeah. It obviously depends on what kind of company, but the idea is it's What's a typical there. range that companies can get at one time? Like um, in, my, in my sense, though, in my group, we usually do up to a million dollars. We focus on those companies. So, you know, the ones that really need the first 350000 to get their idea started, or yeah. not idea started, but, you know, to get working capital, to scale further, to prove the concept, to actually get to the next milestone. Um, so I would say any tech company that has revenue, preferably revenue, um, if they're looking potentially at looking at VC round and you know maybe get, getting equity investors, if they can debt service, potentially looking at debt options. Because there's a few companies, you know, ClearBank, the same thing, right? Yep. For some people, ClearBank would make sense because why would I give up equity? And that's actually what it's pretty Mich so precious. Yeah, yeah. Michelle Romanoff is uh, advocating about, yeah. for right. She's saying that some people do not want to give up equity, and some yeah. people don't want to scale like that. Yeah, I mean, the average um, founder would give up about fifty percent of the equity to reach like a successful business. Absolutely. Like twenty years ago, now the average entrepreneur holds on about three percent or four percent of his company by the time they become a su successful uh, and up and running company. And so, part of the clear bank and the lending process is being able to give alternative means of growing and access to resources without giving up that equity and the control of your company. Absolutely, and there's a few other things. There's resources, there's grants, um, there's Ontario Center of Excellence, IRAP. There's a lot of organizations who can give you cash as well. Perfect, awesome.
Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you, you for so having much me. for coming on the show. Right, it's been great. Thank it you. It was awesome. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Pleasure.